This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we look at the book of Jonah and try to uncover the message buried in this most unusual prophet. Indeed, most unusual. Hey, let's review today. Let's do a short review, shall we? We have in class what we call the short review. And I think we'll do this and maybe, I'm assuming we'll have a capstone lesson for session two. I would think so. Like we had for session one. So we'll we'll do some short reviews, long reviews. We'll, we'll spend some time doing that on a presentation. But if we were going to do a, a short review, we would say that Torah, the books of Moses... We really need to make sure we start with the story is good. We don't we don't ever want to forget story is good and trust the story. I mean, that is the foundation and that is the premise on which we build uh, the whole narrative. It's where God starts. It's where God builds the narrative. It's where we want to start and build our narrative. So we need to include that. Um, but if you can remember, Brent, when we talked about it in session one at the end, we said we could really summarize all of Torah in what word? Partnership. Partnership, right? So God's looking for a partner. He chooses a partner in Genesis. He he rescues that partner and, and marries that partner in Exodus. He defines the partnership in Leviticus. He shapes the partner in Numbers. He asks the partner to remember where they come from in Deuteronomy. So Torah really ends up being about uh, story is good, trust the story, and what it looks like to partner with God when you do. And then after that, we I always have a section I, call, I just call history. Um, this is not how the Jews would talk about Tanakh uh, in particular, but as we walk through the chronology of of what we call the Old Testament, um, uh, the history, um, redemptive cycle, uh, redemption cycle, thinking of the book of Judges. It's a, it's a good way to just summarize all of the history, even the kings. We really don't have any kings or there's really no period in the, um, in the history of God's people where you're like, there, they got it. That is a great period of history. Uh, there's always a period of just, uh, a little touch and go there for a while. And so it's all about God's patience in this redemption cycle. And then uh, after that, we, we would talk about if you're going to make it in this cycle, you're going to need, what are you going to need, Brent? You're going to need wisdom. You're going to need wisdom because we need tools in order to make it through this cycle and the ups and downs and the, the everything that comes with the struggle. And so we need songs and we need wisdom, wise sayings that are generally true. We need meaning and purpose. We need relationships, intimacy, dode. Uh, these are all tools that we're given in order to make it through the, the cycle. And then from there, we walked into the prophets, um, which a little look ahead, uh, the words we're going to use for prophets going to be warning, woes, and hope. Uh, warning, woes, and hope is going to be what we find in the prophets. And we're really in the warning stage. Uh, we've been walking through this different stages of prophetic history. And the first stage that we just wrapped up last uh, podcast, Brent? Uh, Pre-Assyrian prophets. Pre-Assyrian prophets. So before anything, before Assyria got there, before anything was going wrong, as far as they could tell, God sends warnings and he says, this is not good. You don't care. You don't care about the poor. Uh, you don't care about the marginalized. You don't care about people in need. Uh, and that's going to be your downfall, God says, because I do care. And I want you to care. And uh, this is your warning. And and so two prophets are sent to Israel to issue these warnings. And uh, who are those prophets, Brent? Uh, Amos and Micah? No. No, no. no. Amos and... Uh, the image of the prostitute. Right. But I can't remember the prophets. It starts with an H. Ends with uh, Hosea. Hosea, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I wanted to say Habakkuk, and I knew that wasn't right. (laughs) 
Yep. So we have Amos and Hosea to Israel, and then we had uh, which two prophets? You already said Micah. Micah's to Judah. First Isaiah. And first Isaiah. And so that's that pre-Assyrian time period. Now somebody heeds the warning. Like somebody, who is it that heeds the warning, Israel or Judah? Judah. Led by which king? Uh, what's his name? It's another, another H name. Hezekiah. Yeah, so Hezekiah is this king that leads uh, God's uh, people to repent in Judah. Now, Israel never really heeds the warning, at least so history tells us. And so Assyria comes in, and, and Assyria does exactly what God warned them about, and Assyria uh, wipes them out. Now, Judah is going to hold off—I uh, shouldn't say Judah holds off. God holds off Assyria from Judah because of their repentance— but it's not going to last for very long. And so during the Assyrian time period, God's going to send them some more warnings. But I digress. We're getting ahead of ourselves. So we need to we need to stay here in Israel because we've got two prophets. Now that Assyria has come in and, and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, we have two prophets that, that come and speak into this time period to that particular audience, the northern kingdom of Israel. And the first one is Jonah. So we're going to talk about Jonah today. Um, uh as Judah still tries to figure out what it means to walk faithfully, Israel is now having to deal with um, being conquered by their enemies. So problem with Jonah, we, remember we talked about, I think all the way back in Torah, we were talking about Foreman's reference to a lullaby effect. Can you remember what that one was, Brent? Where you hear the same story so many times, you just kind of read through it, and the weird stuff doesn't seem weird because you're familiar <laughs> with it. Right, absolutely. Jonah is definitely one of those. I mean, it's one of the favorite flannel graph board stories that you do with children's ministry. Favorite veggie tale. Favorite veggie tale. This movie is actually pretty good and actually in line with a lot of the things we're going to talk about today. It's not bad. I've always been impressed with the old tales of the veggie variety. It's been good. Uh, but yeah, Jonah is definitely one of those stories we've heard a million times. And anyone who's grown up in the church uh, knows that Jonah's reviewed. <laughs> it feels like it's reviewed like every semester, every other month in Sunday school. Um, and and that's part of the problem with the story of Jonah is we, we kind of start to miss the big questions. Here's a fun thing that I asked students a couple of years ago. I, I asked them, what is the point of the book of Jonah? Like, like if you're listening to this for the first time, you've never heard me teach on this. Like, what's the point of the, what's the point of the book of Jonah? It's like this weird thing where you're, you're, uh, I don't know. What is the point of the book? Like, what is just that Nineveh was saved and a guy got swallowed by a fit. Again, it's one of those stories where our Western mind kicks in and we just kind of get hung up on the the idea that it happened. Like the point of Jonah is to tell us that it happened. But as we've looked at before, the point of biblical stories, they're not going to waste parchment, space, energy on just telling you a whole story or writing a whole book just because something happened. So there must be something even more. And I, we get hung up a lot on, did Jonah actually happen? Did a guy actually get swallowed by a fish? I, I think as we've now probably beat this horse to death, kicked this dead horse enough, um, I think we're probably asking the wrong question at that point. Uh, in fact, in, on Facebook here and I think maybe the day we actually post this podcast, I'm going to share a uh, another podcast that talked about Jonah. Um, it was shared on Peter N's podcast. And um, I, I'm not going to agree with all the nuances necessarily or even think it fits exactly with what we're, but to hear somebody else, uh, 
uh, a scholar take a perspective on a book is going to be, uh, and they're going to suggest that Jonah is a parable. They're going to suggest that Jonah is almost like a, uh, a comic book tale with a point. Um, for some of us, that's, that's a bridge too far. But uh, I think when we start wrestling with whether or not it happened or not, we might be on an adventure and missing the point. But uh, here's the thing that I notice. Now, when we talked about the lullaby effect, Brent, all the way back in Genesis, one of the things that we were always asking, we haven't really asked this question in a while, but what was it we were asking as we looked through a story? What stands out? What, what, what doesn't seem right? Exactly. Like, what, what are the problems? We were actually looking for problems. And it's been a while since we've kind of lived there, but here's going to be another book that I'm going to invite you to consider. Think like an Easterner. Don't think like a Westerner. Westerners taught to ignore the problems or resolve the problems or work away from the problems. An Easterner is designed to look for the problems and to work into the problems. This whole book is riddled with problems. First of all, Jonah is the worst prophet in biblical history. Like, he is, he is absolutely the worst. What, can you remember, talk to me about the writings of Amos, Brent. He goes right in and tells him what's up. Yeah. Well, I mean, Amos. Talk to me about Amos. Not Jonah, but talk to me about Amos. Like, what, what about the literature of Amos? Is it, is it quick and to the point? Is it functional or is it artistic? It's artistic. It's poetic. It's like yeah. full of this depth and like uh, let justice roll on like a mighty river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. Like there's these, like the whole job of a prophet, well, the other things we said was that sometimes a prophet has an image and that image uh, is sometimes acted out in person. So if we're thinking about the job of a prophet is, it is artistic, and it it demands a certain level of attention. I don't know if expertise might be the wrong word here, but it's art, and it's a it's a deep, profound. Here's what Jonah does: he walks into the city and goes, "Hey, the city's going down in like a few days. Peace out. Catch you guys later." Uh, <laughs> and it's. That's, that's in the Hebrew. I yeah, yeah, yeah. It. Yep, that's my paraphrase of the Hebrew. Uh, actually, you should pull that up. Pull that up in Jonah 3 and tell me, let's actually read his, well, I'm going to do a lot of reading today, but it's always good to pull the text out. And uh, let's read Jonah's amazing prophetic sermon that he utters to the people of Nineveh. Uh, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. All right, so that was his great prophetic message. Forty days and the city of Nineveh will be overthrown. No guerrilla theater, no poetry. Here's my one-line message. I'm here to give it. I'm here to be an obedient. Like this guy is like the worst at his job. Now, and I'm I'm assuming that we've all heard the, you know, we all understand the book of Jonah, but I probably should even back up a little bit. The whole the whole book starts by God saying, "Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh." Now, Nineveh, talk to me about Nineveh, just for any of our listeners that don't make the connection right off the bat. What is Nineveh, Brent? It's a pagan city. Okay, capital city of very relevant. Mm, 
Who have they just been conquered by? Assyria. Assyria. So Nineveh is the capital city of their enemies. Like the enemies that just conquered them, Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrians. And so God says, I need you to go, I need you to go give a message of warning to your enemies. Now, understandably so, like we have, I don't know, we have our own enemies in our culture, national enemies, I guess you could say, whatever. Um, I don't know right now, where are we at? 2017. I don't know when you might be listening to this podcast, but we are October 2017. We might think of people like, uh, I don't know, North Korea or ISIS, uh, different people groups like that. And God says, hey, I need you to need you to go send a message to your you know, Pyongyang. Is that how you say that? I think so. All right. Excellent. You need to go send a message to ISIS headquarters, if you don't mind. Jonah's like, no. <laughs> he gets on a boat to head to where? Tar- Tarshish. Tarshish, right? So Tarshish says this. There's a bunch of discussion about Tarshish. Tar- we, we've never found, as far as I'm aware, we have not found evidence of a biblical ancient city of Tarshish. It's mentioned in a lot of different literature, biblical and extra biblical. Um, but uh, we wrestle to know exactly what it is. Now, there's a lot of... The etymology doesn't necessarily translate this way, but there's a lot of writings that seem to suggest that Tarshish actually in the Middle Eastern um, language and in their mind, Tarshish uh, meant and symbolized paradise. So Jonah says, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to paradise. And God says, no, you're not. You're going to Nineveh. And that's where the story sets up, which sets up my second problem with the story, which is that the whole story is backwards. Like, Think of another prophet who is disobedient. Can you think of another prophet in the Old Testament that's disobedient? Uh, not in a direct sense. Yeah, not in a Jonah sense. We've got some guys that struggle here and there with the call and different things like that. But uh, this, like Jonah is a disobedient prophet. He, re- he rebels against the call of God. Uh, God is not in paradise. Like that's where you would think God is. If, you're, if God's going to be somewhere, God's going to be in paradise, right? No, God's not in paradise. God's in Nineveh. Um, uh, the pagans in the boat, remember when Jonah's in the boat and the storm comes up, who is it that worships God? Uh, the pagans. Yeah. The pagans in the boat are worshiping God and the prophet is uncaring and wants to die. Like, <laughs> like this whole book is so backwards. The hero is like the worst and all the people that are supposed to be the worst are actually doing the things that you would not expect them to be doing. Um, the, the Ninevites repent at Jonah's simple message. 40 days and the city of Nineveh is going to be destroyed. It says, and, they, it says they believed God. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Is that the same word for Abraham believed God? I would assume so. We'd have to double check I'm for gonna, sure. I'm but I'm looking into that. All right. I mean, everything is backwards, right? He does the worst job, but they still repent. Not only is it the same word, but Abraham is the first mention of it. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Absolutely. Oh. And so they're actually stepping into the role of the Abraham character in this story. Let's see what else we got here. And then, uh, including the king, by the way, including the Pharaoh character. Like, think of all the hardening of heart and the Pharaoh stuff we studied. Well, the king of Nineveh was like, yeah, absolutely. My goodness, I can't even believe that this is the this is the message. Put sackcloth on all the animals, like at some point, the king says. This is so backwards. And then when God sends judgment, he sends it on Jonah. He sends it on his prophet. And then he doesn't send judgment on the enemy. Like the whole story is just wacky. Like every detail, everything's going the wrong direction from what your assumption would be. Um, and then, and then, and then there's another problem here for me. The ending of this book is completely frustrating. Like you, you end the book and you wonder if we lost the ending of the scroll of Jonah. Like, is this really where it's supposed to end? 
Uh, the last paragraph of Jonah leaves the reader hanging in complete disbelief that this would be the message for God's people as they sit in captivity in Assyria. Um, and, and I would even tail that into one final problem that I would, I would recognize. And, and you don't recognize this at first, but if you really are paying attention to your text, you begin to notice that Jonah does something uh, very, very interesting. He, he, be, he begins to, when he gets angry in chapter four, he starts talking to God and he says, God, I knew that you were uh, slow to anger and abounding in love, uh, compassionate. Well, go ahead and pull that up. Jonah four, Brent, and, and tell me what Jonah says. Read that first paragraph of Jonah four. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Uh, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. All right. So, so Jonah's response is, "This is see, God, this is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. This is why I didn't want to go talk to ISIS. This is why, because I know how loving and forgiving you are. But the words he chooses to use, the words that you read, were almost a verbatim quote from the book of Exodus, when God introduced himself, or was about to appear, should I say, to Moses. And God said, I am Adonai, Adonai, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, but Jonah misquotes the passage. Now, do you think he did that on purpose, Brent? Well... (laughs) I mean, typically, I would assume that a prophet knows his text pretty well, although everything else is so backwards, it's hard to say for sure. Yes. Now, let's assume that he, like any other Jewish prophet, whether he's a good one or not, knows his text really well. We would assume this is not, uh, this is not something he did by accident. And if that's true, the word he left out is the word in our NIV faithfulness from Exodus, but it also is translated in the Hebrew truth. Which is interesting because Jonah is the son of who, Brent? Can you remember? Uh, I don't. Jonah, the son of Amittai, which is interesting. Yonah means dove, which where have we seen a dove before? Different dove images. Uh, in, the, in the garden. Okay, garden or the creation story yeah. in uh, Noah. We send out every Noah. time there's a new creation, every time God restores shalom, there's like the dove calls you back to this. So here's a guy named Dove, and he's the son of Amatai. Now, Matai, Amatai means truth. So Jonah is the son of truth. Dove, the son of truth. Jonah is so angry because God isn't restoring shalom to the chaos. Jonah says, I knew that this was who you are. You're loving, you're compassionate, you're gracious, but do you know who you're not, God? You're not somebody who's committed to truth. Because if you cared about truth, you would deal with our enemies. Like this is where Jonah's anger is coming up at. And it's something that if we allow ourselves to relate to the story with, we, we can we can understand this. And, and then And then the book has this just awkward ending about, and so he goes, and after this, he goes and he builds a shelter to pout, and God causes a vine to grow up over the shelter, which is really interesting, because he builds the shelter so that he has what, Brent? So he has shade. So he has shade, right? He's going to go sit, which I love. He goes and he sits east of the city. Judgment always comes from the east. 
So he goes and he sits east of the city under a shelter to sit down and watch. It's almost like a little kid who's going off to pout and sit over the city and say, you don't care about truth. And so I'm going to sit here until you do. I'm going to wait for judgment to befall this city. And so God causes a vine to grow up, which is really, he doesn't need a vine because he's already built a shelter. But God blesses him anyway. Hold on to that thought. We'll get back to that here in just a moment. Now, Brent, when we had this discussion before, all the way back in Genesis, we would we would find stories that had all kinds of problems. What did we often find when we examined the story that had all kinds of red flags and alarms on our dashboard? We'd begin to look at the story and we would discover that there was something going on. Uh, chiasm, typically. Ah, chiasm. Well, even if you take the book of Jonah and just generally look at it, you're going to see a chiasm very quickly. And we'll actually break it down in a lot more detail here in just a moment. But uh, you have Jonah angry and wanting to die in chapter 1. You have Jonah angry and wanting to die in chapter 4. You have Jonah repenting in chapter 2. You have Nineveh repenting in chapter 3. So you have a very general, like if that was just a quick shot, we're just throwing the book of Jonah at the wall. We can even see the chiasm there. But let's break it down to a more literary science here. You've actually created a presentation for this. The first slide of your presentation uh, will get us started. This is actually how I depicted the chiasm uh, in my blog a few years ago. I actually did it incorrectly. We'll talk about that here in a moment. But you're going to get the idea of the chiasm by looking at that first slide of your presentation. The bookends are these references to the great city. First couple verses of Jonah, last couple verses of Jonah talk about the great city of Nineveh. The great city, the great city. The next level in, we notice that Jonah wants to die. On the back end of the book, Jonah wants to die. Uh, the very next part of the book is Jonah's repentance in the fish. And on the other side of the book, you have Nineveh's repentance. And then you had three days in the fish and a three-day walk in Nineveh, which puts the center of the chiasm in uh chapter 3, verse 1, which talks about God saying, hey, go to that great city of Nineveh. So you have like this, what appears to be this perfect chiasm. Problem is, it's not a perfect chiasm. It's what sometimes we call an imperfect chiasm because I recorded this wrong. If you actually look through Jonah, I put the three days in the fish in the incorrect spot. Three days in the fish appears at the very end of chapter 1. So if you flip to the next slide on your presentation, you'll see how it's supposed to be. And when you look at that, you think, ah, well, it just screwed up the chiasm. Well, I love what Rabbi Foreman teaches about imperfect chiasms. Rabbi Foreman says, uh, imperfect chiasms are always perfect chiasms. It's just that we've misidentified the pieces. So when you find these situations, these chiasms where, and I believe we talked about this all the way back in session one, but just to review, you'll find these chiasms where you've got these two pieces that are out of order, link them together and make the one piece, make them one piece, realize that those two pieces are actually connected in idea, and now all of a sudden you have the perfect chiasm. So if you flip to the next slide, we'll show you the box that, that illuminates the problem, this section right here. And then if you go to that last slide, we'll show you how it can appropriately be seen. The three days and the repentance is linked, which in a sense, Foreman will make the argument, in the chiasm that highlights that idea. There's something about the chiasm of Jonah that's highlighting the importance and significance of repentance. 
There's something about repentance that makes a difference here in the story. So now we got to ask the question, well, why is, why is the great city, what does the great city and repentance have to do with anything? Well, I would start looking at the passage about repentance. And if I were looking really closely in the Hebrew, I would notice something. We have more than one fish in the book of Jonah. Did you know this, Brent? Um, I mean, did I know this this year or... <laughs> You've heard this before. I've, I've been I've been here before. Yes. That's right. But before you ever heard this, did you ever notice? This? No. We don't really read things in the Hebrew. We don't notice this. And it's even easy to miss in the Hebrew. The problem is, is that Jonah is swallowed by a male fish in the Hebrew. He prays in the belly of a female fish. And then he spit out again by a male fish. So our fish is changing gender on us. We have more than one fish. We have a female fish and a male fish. Now you're thinking as a Westerner, you're thinking, wait a minute, are you literally telling me? No, I'm not literally telling you that. I'm telling you the Hebrew is indicating we have something going on here. Can you think of any reason, Brent, why a Hebrew author might want to make the fish female? Anything in particular about female fishes? I mean, I don't know a lot about fish. (laughs) (laughs) We're not fish experts here. No. We're not going to claim to be. He has spit out, vomited, expelled in the Hebrew um, onto dry land. The word there is an interesting word. Like we think vomited. Of course, the the fish vomited him out. But it's more about, it's kind of an interesting word to choose because it's more about expulsion. It's kind of like kicked out. Or is there anything you... Is Same idea, but not quite. Okay. Not, not, Not linked in Hebrew language. But I like how your brain is working. Because what was the story, when you're thinking prats, what's that a story of? That's the sheep. Okay, it ends up being sheep, uh, sheep in, the, uh, in the prophets. Where did it first show? Somebody was named prats. Do you remember? Oh, yes. Uh, English Perez, right? Right. Perez was the son of Tamar, one of the two twins. And she was giving birth. You see, this is the image that you would think of when you think of a female fish Jonah's in the belly of a female fish, and the fish is then going to vomit him out, expel him out. You think of the same idea of new birth showing up in the book of Jonah. And so you you begin to unwind this, and Rabbi Foreman has this incredible uh, teaching here. When When you go back and you begin to look at the ending of the book of Jonah, you begin to realize that one of God's uh, great points that he wants Jonah to see is that Nineveh is so full of potential. Repentance brings us to a point of potential. Because Jonah is willing to repent, new life, new birth is, is, is just waiting to be had. And so we have this, this story of Jonah. Well, let me finish my thought on Jonah, and then I'm going to pull us around to another idea here as well. Uh, I have some notes here. Uh, what's the deal with this great city of Nineveh? Nineveh is most certainly not a great city. We know more about Assyrian warfare than we know about a lot of an ancient warfare. And what we know about the Assyrians is that they were brutal. They tortured captives, raped women, murdered babies. This is not a great city. One person wrote me the other day to point out how many times the word gadol. Can you remember where we ran into gadol, Brent? Uh, that's like man of honor or whatever. Or yeah, ish, gadol is. ish gadol in the story of Naaman, right? So the word gadol, which is great in this prophet, appears, it seems, it seems like 
the prophet and Jonah just wants to give the word gadol to everything. It's a great city. There's a great fish. It's a great storm. Everything is great. Everything is gadol. And the one thing you expect to be gadol isn't, which is God's anger and wrath. Uh, the east wind, God's judgment is what east wind always is in the prophets, is not gadol. Everything is gadol except, except God's judgment. Uh, one of my students pointed that out to me. Uh, years ago. And I think it's just an absolutely wonderful observation. This is the whole driving point of Jonah. If you've just been conquered by Assyria and you're in Israel, you want to know why in the world has God not destroyed Assyria? And the message of Jonah seems to be because even though they're horrible, they're still a great city full of people and people have potential. One of the most interesting parts of the book of Jonah is the vine that God makes grow over Jonah at the end of the book. It's interesting because Jonah has already made a shelter to give him himself shade, yet God makes a vine grow up to give him more shade. I picture the vine symbolizing God's blessing. Like they don't need it, but God gives it to him. Why does God give his people blessing? Well, the Midrash goes on to talk about how the vine that God made grow up had 153 leaves. Now, we haven't really talked about Hang this on to a that whole number lot. For Hang later. on to that number. It actually comes from a form of gematria, Hebrew triangulation, uh, from a passage in Ezekiel. 153 came to symbolize uh, the number of, uh, a number that symbolized the pagan nations. And so if God is giving a vine to Jonah and the, and the Midrash says, the book of Jonah doesn't, doesn't tell us anything about the vine as far as how many leaves it had. But if the Midrash says there's 153 leaves, why would it be saying that? It must be God's blessing is for... Is for the pagans. For the pagans. Like, it's like this reminder all the way back to Abraham, which I love your connection to Abraham already. It's another connection back to Abraham. God's always wanted to bless all nations. And you've kind of forgotten the plot of the story, Jonah. I care about the pagans. I care about Nineveh. And when I give you a blessing, I want you to use that blessing for others, maybe even your enemies. But God then destroys the vine, and the east wind comes on Jonah's head, and it's burned. The vine might remind Israel of their call to bless the nations and provide shade for the Gentiles. Uh, we've seen in some other places. Um, so why does God not rise up and strike down our enemies? Because our enemies have great potential. Uh, by the way, again, I think I've, uh, maybe if we can find a link for this, we can put it in the show notes. Rabbi Foreman's teaching on the book of Jonah. I don't know if we'll be able to find that or not on Aleph Beta, but uh, his teachings on Jonah are just fantastic. In short, the book of Jonah is about the potential of people particularly our enemies. The book of Jonah is a striking tale that invites us to consider what our role in the world is. It's a call to remind us that our story and what God expects uh, when he plants a vine or a vineyard, as we looked at in 1st Isaiah, as the people of Israel listened to the story of Jonah, they would have resonated with his anger, his frustration, and his retort of God. Yet God's message to his people remains steadfast. Should I not care about this great city? There is so much potential that lies in God's creation. He invites us to trust him in that and help him put the world back together, whether we find ourselves in, the tar in Tarshish or in Nineveh. And one final observation about this is they read this book on one particular holiday. What holiday do you suppose that that is? I'm having memory problems today, apparently. 
So right after Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, and after the eight days of awe, after the ten days of awe, this period of repentance, and we said in the chiasm, the chiasm made a big point about repentance, because repentance is where your potential lies. If you will repent, you are full of potential. And so not only is this book about our enemies, but many scholars have suggested it was written much, much later uh, as a commentary on our own potential. We're always so mad at our enemies that this book actually invites us to take a look at ourselves. And that's why the book is backwards. And it's why the prophet is the one that's being judged and everything. And the whole book says, do you not have your own sin? And when you look at Yom Kippur and God forgives you and you think to yourself, why would God forgive me every single year when I have this long list of garbage that I have to bring before him? And the answer from the book of Jonah is God forgives you every single time because you have potential. As a human being, you have potential. Your enemies have potential. We have potential. Why does God love us so much? Why does God not destroy our enemies? Why does God not rescue us? Because when God looks at humanity, God sees potential. Uh, Something just waiting to be born out of the midst of rebellion and disobedience. If we'll only turn and repent, potential uh, is sitting right there, ready to be grasped, if you will. So... There you go, Jonah. Can't wait to discuss it. There's actually a ton of stuff going on here. I was trying to get done. 35 minutes. We did it. But we could also spend another hour talking about Jonah. There's so much different things in here. There's a lot of weird stuff in this book. Yes, there is. And we could actually go through in discussion group and kind of walk through the whole book. It's four chapters long. It's not that long to read. And just talk about all the different pieces and unpack it some more. So there was a lot there. You might even be lost as we kind of walk through all that, but hopefully in, as you get together and discuss, find some of that Foreman teaching. Uh, he probably teaches it 10 times better than I do, and you'll be able to pull it together. Yeah, I'll see if I can find links for that, if anything is readily available. Awesome. Love it. He doesn't have a book on Jonah, does he? Not yet. I keep yeah. waiting for it. It's kind of one of his big staple teachings, and he usually does write a book on those things. But as far as I know, he hasn't put one out yet. All right. Well, if you live on the Palouse, join us for discussion groups in Moscow on Tuesday and Pullman on Wednesday. Um, check out our Baymont Establishment Facebook page. I think, Marty, you said you're going to post something with this episode on the Facebook page. Yeah, I think so. So be yep. sure to, to check that out. If you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. You can find me at EIBCB. And you can find more details about the show at BaymontEstablishment.com. Thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>